The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're new with us here uh, or online, I just want to say welcome. Really, really thankful that you are with us. Uh, part of today is Church Planting Sunday. And uh, we are partnered with the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. So you should have had one of these uh, fancy brochures in your seat. And this is just for you to take home and to learn more about this global family of church planting churches, which is now uh, more than 700 strong around the world. Uh, Billy and Zach, two of our planters in the 828, are also part of Acts 29. And I'm really grateful uh, for the work that God is doing there. You know, God has given us, our particular church, uh, a vision to help plant, replant, or strengthen at least one local congregation in every one of the 22 counties that make up the 828 area code of Western North Carolina. And beyond the probably 10 or so churches that we've helped plant in the United States, particularly in the Southeast, we've helped plant another four in Buncombe County, uh, four including those two guys in other counties in the 828, uh, and, and then we've got partners in four other counties uh, in the 828. And so I just praise God for what he's doing. He's, he's creating a movement of new churches, gospel Center Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching churches throughout our region, and, uh, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, we exist to mature multiply disciples in Asheville and beyond, and you're going to see more about the and beyond part uh, a little bit later, but uh, really, really pumped about... Who, who likes church planning? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I believe you. All right. There we go. There we go. All right. Okay. Uh, if you got a Bible, open it to Acts chapter 1. So last week we started the book of Acts, and uh, as I said to you last week, Acts is really what it looks like when the power of God is unleashed through his people, the church. And when I say his people, I mean people like us, everyday, ordinary people who are worshiping Jesus as a family together on the mission that God gives. What, what I warned you last week is we're not going to see super leaders who are flexing their muscle and proving their amazingness as they lead the church forward on God's mission. What we're going to see is normal people, broken people, sinful people who are staking their future on Jesus and his amazingness. And as they do that, God moves. And so I want you to realize that as we finish chapter one today, we're looking at these real people at a real time in history and what we're caught up in today, like the fact that we're in this room together as followers of Jesus, it's because of these people that we're going to read about and, and God's work through them because of their obedience to him. He, he, when Jesus says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and into Samaria, and then to all the ends of the earth, he, we're part of that. So we are caught up in this thing because Jesus's mission went through those people, and it continues today through us, through us. So we're going to pick up in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter here for us, and then I'll pray and we'll dive in here. 
So if you've got your Bible open, it'll be on the screens too. Uh, but I really hope that if you're a regular here, if you're coming on a regular basis, that you bring your Bible with you and don't rely on these screens. No shame if you did that today. I'm just saying, I think there's something about having God's word right in front of you. Acts 1, verse 12. Then they, that's the apostles, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. That's about three quarters of a mile or so. It's an actual measurement. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. Don't you wish that guy had a different name? I bet he'd Judas, that's not a good name to have. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. A little side note, verse 18. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Mm. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama. You just have to speak it like, speak it like Klingon. That is the field... Of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate. Let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So, one of the men who accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take, <coughs> excuse me, to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, this is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we give you great thanks today for the opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters in this room to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you for the, the work that is continuing from, from this point 2,000 years ago with these 11 sitting in the upper room praying to today when we see churches being planted throughout Western North Carolina and beyond. We are so grateful that you would call people to take the gospel uh, and to plant the gospel in places where uh, there's hardness to it and that you would choose by your spirit to allow it to bear fruit in the lives of people and that churches would spring up because the gospel is taking root in the lives of people. And we pray, Lord, that it would continue, that you would saturate this entire region, 828 region, these 22 counties, with the presence of your gospel, with the presence of your spirit, with lives being transformed as people surrender to Jesus. And I pray that it would extend beyond the 828 and even to the uttermost parts of the world for your glory and for the good of those who are lost 
and on their way to hell right now. So Lord, as we look at uh, Acts chapter 1, as we look at uh, this waiting period before your spirit came, I just pray that you would use today's passage to encourage us, to help us uh, to understand more about who you are and, and what you've called us into. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right, if you're a note taker, uh, I got three points for you, and they all uh, start with P once again, because you know you have real jobs, and I just think of stuff that rhymes with P, so or that starts with the same letter. Uh, so getting prepared is my first point. Here's what I want you to see: as we look at these uh, last uh, first couple verses in this section, 12 to 14, Jesus had promised. He had, he had he had come and said, "I'm the promised Savior. I'm the Messiah. I am God in the flesh." And we saw Jesus, he dies for sin, right? For our sin. He, he rises from death on the third day, conquering our enemies of Satan and sin and death and hell. And he appeared last week in, in Acts 1. We saw him, he says that he appeared for a period of over 40 days, teaching about the kingdom of God. He gives his apostles the biggest mission in the history of the world, that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But what does he say? His very sort of last instructions. He says, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. How many of you love waiting? <laughs> so some of you know I live in South Asheville, and so I'm on 26 a lot, and uh, I'm getting really good at waiting. <laughs> um, but, but it's caused me, as I sit in traffic sometimes, to come up with a theory of all humanity. And um, it's like this. It has to do with yield signs. So if you see a, a sign that says lane closed ahead, as we did this morning if you came from the south, uh, merge in two miles, how many of you are the kind who ride the right-hand lane until you're about to hit one of those cones and then come over? Come on, be honest. Okay, a few of you. All right, because you got places to go, right? And then how many of you are the ones who merged two miles ago but speed up to block those people from getting in? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so we're all sinners is the moral of that story Amen. zipper method people zipper we got to zip this thing all right you just make it work but here's the reality right none of us like to wait we got stuff to do we got stuff to knock off of our punch list and so we don't like waiting i really don't like waiting for much of anything but here are these disciples and, and these apostles, and they're told, you got to wait for power. If you're going to do this mission, you got to wait for power. So here they come, back to the upper room. Now, Luke says the upper room, which makes me think it's the same upper room where they celebrated that final Passover meal with Jesus. Uh, remember, they were not from Jerusalem, these apostles. Most of them were Galilean. And so they're renting a room or borrowing a room, and, and they're staying there. This becomes base camp for them. And here's this core group. Look at it again. I'm not going to read off all the names, but you see here, verse 13, they had entered, they went up to the upper room, and they name off these 11 apostles. And then there's also, they were together with the women. Now, if you've read Luke's gospel, what he means by the women is women from Galilee who came with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, and many of them supported financially the ministry. So they were disciples of Jesus who were following and supporting the ministry. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with them. And his brothers. So 
when, when I'm thinking about church planting, this is your core group, all right? This is this, this core sort of launch team. There's maybe 25 people at this point who are this sort of core leadership of this new burgeoning church plant. They're in this strange in-between time, okay? They've been promised the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And, and so they're in this weird in-between time, and what are they doing, are they doing some strategic planning? Are they looking at demographics and, uh, you know, financial studies and figuring out what their, you know, where their building's going to be and where their evangelism strategy? Are they doing that? No. Are they doing marketing? They got, they're coming up with a cool logo for the church. Uh, they don't even have a name for it. It's just the church, right? Because there's only one. And so they got to have a cool logo. They're doing mailers, right? They're coming up with some catchy slogan and figuring out, no, are they doing that? No. I know, maybe, maybe they're doing block parties, like hot dogs and bounce houses, and they're getting ready to reach out. What are, what are they doing? Praying. They're praying. Luke 24 also tells us that, that daily they would go to the temple and, and bless God. They were worshiping him. So catch this, first days, early days of the church, they're waiting on Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, and while they wait, they're worshiping and they're praying. That ought to be what all of us do when we're preparing for anything, worship and prayer. I'm just learning this. I've been a believer more than 20 years. And, and to my shame, I'll say, I'm just now learning that prayer and worship needs to precede ministry. It's foundational. That's the way Jesus operated. He would pull away. He would get with the Father. He would pray. He would worship. And then he would come back full of the Spirit and ready to minister. And then he would pull away again. And that's the way that we are called to operate as well. This is not passive waiting. It's active. It's actively worshiping, actively praying, You know, this church uh, will be, what, 14 this coming year. Is that right? Yeah, I think 14 years old. And uh, one of the regrets that I have about the founding of our church, so I planted with another guy named Kurt. He was the lead pastor. I was an elder with him when we planted. Um, and one of my regrets from those early days is that we did not spend as much time as we should have praying. Like, I'm a doer. Any doers? Huh? Yeah. Uh, it, I'm an action-oriented person. And so it's like, I think of it, let's, let's do it. Let's just get to it. And clearly, it's the best idea because I had it. So let's just execute my idea. Um, and I have spun my wheels over and over and over again in many areas of my life, even in, in ministry to the degree that I'm finally learning, oh, wait, worship and prayer needs to precede, needs to come before I do any ministering. I hope that you will learn that lesson if you haven't already. So, so they're praying. And how are they praying? Look at verse 14. How are they praying? All these, how? With one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. They were unified. Now, this is a big deal if you consider who's in the room. Imagine who's in this group of 2025 
early kind of leaders in the church. We know the disciples did not all get along very well, right? You had uh, James and John who wanted seats at the left and right of Jesus in the kingdom. You had in John 13, you remember when Jesus calls the people to himself, his disciples, and he goes, hey, look, the, the way that you're, the world's going to know you're my disciples is if you love one another. And you have in mind people like Simon the Zealot, who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire, and then Matthew the tax collector who worked for the Roman Empire. And he's like, hey, knuckleheads, the way the world's going to know you belong to me is that you love one another. You've got Jesus' family, his mother and brothers, who for a while thought he was crazy, Jesus, right? Remember? They came to get him because they were like, he's, he's not well. We're going to take him home. Jesus' brothers in John 7, they were like, why don't you come prove yourself at the temple? They didn't believe that he was who he said he was. And so now all these people are in the room, and it's kind of like a going away party, except the guests of honor already left. <laughs> it's awkward, right? You ever been at a party like that where the only connection that you have to any of these other people is that they're connected to that person who's leaving, and you don't know them, and it's just weird? That's also what planning a church is like because you gather these people who don't really know each other, but they have Jesus in common, and then they got to get to know each other. They got to start building relationships with one another. It's awkward. You got to build trust. By the way, here's Peter who had denied Jesus, and all the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they fled. So there's a lot of shame and a lot of brokenness, and now they're all together, and Jesus isn't there, and they're like, what do we do now? They pray, and they worship. By the way, a little side note, this is for free. The fact that Jesus' own mom and brothers are there worshiping Jesus is a massive apologetic for the reality of this gospel. Like any of you, if your brother claimed, I'm God in the flesh, you would go, sure, and worship him? Any, anybody? No. But Jesus' brothers did. Any of you moms, if your son one day was like, I'm the Savior, you'd be like, sure, all right, let's do this. No. You're like, dude, that's not true because you disobey me all the time. So, <clears throat> but Jesus' own family's worshiping him here. So here are these early uh, disciples, the apostles, the, the women, they're gathering together, they're praying, they're worshiping, they're getting on the same page, uniting around this common mission that we are going to be witnesses to the end of the earth, worshiping God for who he is, asking God to do what only God can do in their midst. And we'll see next week when the Spirit comes just what happens. Now, it's been said that if you plant a church, you never stop planting that church. You're always replanting that church just with a different size core group. <laughs> and that's true, especially in light of COVID. Like, I know where we were going into March of last year. I have no idea where we are now, right? I don't know how many people we've gained. I don't know how many people we've lost. I know how many people sign up, but I don't know how many of you are on the other side of this camera lens. And I don't know when you're coming back or if you're coming back. So we're always replanting with a different size core group. So guess what? You're my core, all right? There's a little bit more than 25 of you, which, is, which praise God for that. But here's my question. Are we praying? Are we praying that God's kingdom would come, that, that, that it would be 
here in Asheville on earth as it is in heaven? Do you pray, will you pray for this church, for your leaders, for God's spirit to move in power when we gather and through us when we minister throughout the week? Will you pray with us? Will you pray for us? Because one thing I know for sure is that the power of God will not come unless we ask him. The spirit of God will not move unless we ask him to move in our midst. Amen? Four of you, amen. Okay, cool. So they are getting prepared, and they're preparing by waiting, by worshiping, by praying. But then I want you to see this in verse 15. Peter's going to help them gain some perspective. Gain some perspective. Let's, let me just read these verses again. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. It's about 120 of them. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. And it goes on to say he acquired the field. I'm not going to read all that again. But then he says in verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And, and he quotes another Psalm, let another take his office. So in those days, these are the days between the ascension and Pentecost. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Pentecost is not a Christian thing, right? There are Pentecostals because they focus their effort, their, their energy around that day, but Pentecost was uh, also known as the Feast of Weeks. It was 50 days after uh, Passover, and it was a, cel- a celebration, and that just happens to be when the Holy Spirit came, as we'll see next week. But Peter, he sees this group. Now they've got 120, so this is kind of like launch Sunday, right? They got all the believers there, and Peter feels the need to get up and address them. Do you think Peter might have been a little bit nervous to get up in front of all the Christians and lead them? After he failed Jesus so massively by denying that Jesus ever existed, that he ever knew him, right? Three times when, when uh, Jesus is under arrest and people come to him, they go, hey, aren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, not me. I don't even know the guy. Three times he did that. And now he's their leader. <laughs> but you remember that beautiful story from John chapter 21. Uh, Peter has gone back to fishing after Jesus has died. Now he went to the empty tomb and he saw that Jesus wasn't there, but he didn't really know what was going on. So he went back to his old life of fishing and I told you a little bit about this last week, but he's, he's you know, casting his net. They're not catching anything. And he hears a voice from the shore, hey, put your net on the other side, which is a reference back to something earlier that happened in Jesus' ministry when Peter was fishing and Jesus told him to put his net on the other side of the boat and he caught a whole bunch of fish. So he does it again and he catches a whole bunch of fish and he goes, oh my gosh, that's Jesus on the shore. And he takes his outer robe off and swims to the shore and Jesus is there cooking him breakfast. And then do you remember what Jesus does? So tender, so kind. He goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? Now, we did ask him three times, which has got him a little bit of like a, you know. But um, do you love me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know I do. And he says, okay, feed my sheep. Guess what? Now he's doing it. This is it. He repented. He's been restored. And now uh, Peter is this sort of de facto leader of this church. He's always mentioned first. He always speaks first. He's sort of the first among equals of the apostles. And now he's leading a church plant with Jesus' mom and brothers as part of the core group, which is just a beautiful reminder. I, I, I want all of you to hear this. 
no matter how broken you feel, no matter how much you have missed it, no matter how much baggage you've got, no matter how much sin you've committed before you came to Jesus or even after you've come to Jesus, God loves to use screw-ups like you and me for his purposes. There's hope for any of us to return to Jesus and be used for his purposes, to be restored to him. He loves to use us. So the whole church is 120 people. Except, wait a minute. Remember in 1 Corinthians when Paul says that Jesus appeared to crowds of more than 500? What's that tell us? Tells me that seeing is not always believing. Jesus appeared to more than 500. It doesn't say that all 500 believed in him. 120 sure did, though. Now, I've heard people say, well, if Jesus would just appear, then I'd believe in him. And I go, yeah, I don't think he would. Because seeing is not always believing. You know what the Bible says? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of God. <laughs> and that's exactly what Peter's going to lead them into. In fact, in 2 Peter, he even goes so far as to say, um, we saw the resurrection, we heard God's voice, but we have something more sure, and that's the prophetic word. Peter stakes his claim on the word of God, and that's exactly where he leads them, to help them get perspective on what just happened. Because this church had a rocky start, didn't they? But Jesus picked 12. They're his hand-picked guys. One of them betrayed him, was complicit in his murder. And then that guy, Judas, hanged himself before Jesus was resurrected. He was full of regret and shame, and he, he, he committed suicide before Jesus was resurrected. Then Jesus was resurrected. He was around for a month and a half, and then he went back to heaven, and now their leader is gone. This was hard. It's a hard we're supposed to carry this mission forward and we're reeling from the fact that we were betrayed by one of our own and now our leader has left us. But Peter, even with this limited experience, seems to be a good pastor. And he, and he opens up his Bible to shepherd the people through recent events, what they just experienced. Now, some of you are visiting here uh, and maybe you're kind of trying to find a church in town. Maybe you're watching online and you're checking out different live streams. Let me just w tell you this. If you visit a church, any church, and the pastor uh, does not open his Bible, leave immediately. I'm serious. Like, if you don't see this thing open up and then read stuff out of it, I would just get up, even in the middle of the service, and please do this for me. Get up and go, what are you even doing? And then just walk out. <laughs> that would make me so happy. And listen, you're going to find a bunch of them, especially around this area. I hate to say it. But this is our source of authority. This is God's word to us. And so you... Anyway, I'm going to get on a whole other tangent. So... He opens up the scripture and he says, listen, guys, and he speaks to this 120. Look, what just happened was hard. It was really hard. But it had to happen in order to fulfill scripture. And he quotes from two places, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. And he says, look, this, is, this did not catch God by surprise, right? Jesus didn't pick wrong. He didn't make a mistake when he selected Judas. 
It, it wasn't like Judas betrayed Jesus and all of a sudden God and the Holy, you know, the Father and the Holy Spirit are up in heaven like, oh, what do we do now? Right? That didn't happen. This was prophesied. He says that David in Psalm 69 spoke about Judas. That though David was speaking about his own time, the Holy Spirit was inspiring David to also speak about another time. And it's the time when Judas betrayed Jesus. He does the same, same thing with 100, uh, Psalm 109. So he says, uh, this is what happened. And he's trying to encourage them and remind them that God is sovereign over all circumstances. So they, though they may be struggling with why it happened and how it happened and how could it happen and where was God in all this, he's, he's like, no, 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 all this was sifted through the hands of the Father. He knows, he brought it, like it had to happen in order to fulfill Scripture. Peter will do the same thing a little later on when we see him preach. He'll say, uh, Jesus was, was executed according to the will of the Father, but you put him to death, right? So he's, he's bearing that tension of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. This is what happens. Now, it's an amazing insight, I think, that Peter, with his you know, six weeks of being a follower of a, a Christian here, uh, a genuine Christian, uh, is able to see by the, by the insight that the Spirit gives him uh, that Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 are ultimately about Jesus, but that Judas is mentioned. Like, that's a crazy insight. It doesn't mean that we should try to assign Bible verses to every circumstance in our lives. Okay? It doesn't mean, like, let's say, I don't know, you have a bad breakup or, you know, you get let go from a job or something and you're like, okay, I need some encouragement. Ah, here it is. Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and an itch of which you cannot be healed. Like, that's not your verse to make sense of your breakup, okay? That's not your verse to make sense of getting fired. Maybe you got fired because you're just bad at your job. Anyway, so that's not the point of that, right? The point is we are to gain encouragement and perspective. You learn that God is sovereign. You learn that God cares for you. You learn that God is with you in every circumstance. You learn that, that hardship produces perseverance. And so let's be a people who go to the Scripture, who read the Scripture. Like here at Monsieur Day, we love God's Word. We trust God's Word. We believe God's word. We read God's word. We study God's word. We memorize God's word. And we know that God's word is what we need, and we know that God's word is what other people need. I was once uh, in Charlotte for an Acts 29 event, and uh, we, were, we were out to dinner, and I, uh, I went to the bar to get a beverage. And I was, I was sitting there, and I was waiting uh, on the person to give me my beverage, and this couple strikes up a conversation with me. And they're asking me if I live in town, and I say, no, I live in Asheville. And they're like, oh, what are you doing here? And I said, um, well, I'm with this church planning thing. And they're like, oh, we go to church. We go to, I won't name the church, rhymes with smellovation. And so they were there, and, uh, and the guy was like, oh, we really like it because... Um, he goes, he goes, you ever seen a TED Talk? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, it's kind of like that, but about God. And I was like, huh. And so, and then the woman, this is so, this is so interesting. The woman, these, they don't, I mean, from what I can tell, these people don't really know Jesus. Uh, but she said, I, it's really confusing when we go there. She's like, there's smoke and lights and stuff. And people get up and cheer when the guy comes out to talk. And she goes, I just want somebody to tell me what the Bible means. And I was like, that's it. 
That's it. So I was like, well, two blocks down the street, there's this church. It's where I was helping. And I was like, they will tell, they're not fancy, right? There's no smoke machines or lasers, but they will tell you what the Bible means and they'll love you well. That's what people want. It's what people need. What we all need is the word of God. So we can know who God is, so we can worship him. So we can turn from our sin, turn to him, be forgiven, welcomed into his family. Are you in God's word? Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you memorize it? Do do you love it? Do you want it? It'll help you gain perspective on the circumstances of your life. Okay, and I'm saying a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't say. Uh, Oh, well, it's already out there in the internet. So (laughs) let's look at this last point. Peter's not only going to shepherd them through their grief, He's going to help them grow in perseverance, and that's my last point, growing in perseverance. Look at verse 21. You guys still hanging with me? So one of the men who have accompanied accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of, uh, of John until the day when he was taken up from us, that's the ascension, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. <laughs> Side note here. Some, too many names, that's for sure. But one of the reasons, they, some commentators will say that when you had additional names like that, it was because of you, you were a person of excellence. Uh, this guy, uh, Barsabbas, means basically son of the Sabbath. So maybe he was born on the Sabbath, we don't know. But then he was also called Justice. So perhaps he was known in the community as being a very just person. So he had all these multiple names. He, he's, he's highly regarded, okay? So there's Joseph with three names, and then Matt. <laughs> Matthias, we'll just call him Matt, okay? So you're like, okay, obvious choice here. Um, and they prayed, and they said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these you have chosen. We'll just stop there for a minute. Peter did not just shepherd them through their pain to give them perspective. He helps them gain perseverance, And here's how. They have to grieve what happened, right? Judas betrayed not just Jesus, but all of them. Jesus was murdered. Jesus came back. Jesus ascended. He's gone. Like, that's a lot to go through. And so we need to trust that God is sovereign in all of that. But then Peter's like, look, but we got to move on. We got to move forward. Because Jesus is still risen and the mission of God is still before us, and the Holy Spirit is still coming, and we gotta get this, we gotta have 12 here to get this thing done. It struck me as I was studying this week, and I've never seen this before. So many people and so many churches get stuck when there's hardship and grief. So maybe there's a pastoral failure, maybe there's a church split, maybe there's division or some other thing. And I have seen over the years, uh, even very recently, churches just get stuck in this cycle of grief and mourning, and they never have a leader to come up and go, hey, we got to move on. Let's grieve it. Let's understand its place in the sovereignty of God, and then let's move on to mission. And they're stuck there for sometimes 5, 10, 20, 30 years and never move on. Some of us as individuals, we're stuck in a cycle of grief and mourning, and we've never moved past it. I wonder if there's any of you this morning that are just stuck because of something that has happened to you. Imagine what would happen what would have happened if Peter had let them stay stuck there? There's 120 Christians at this time. 
You know how many there are today? About two and a half billion on the planet and growing. What would have happened if Peter was like, well, I just got to keep shepherding them through this and we can't move forward. You and I wouldn't be here today. Jesus is still risen. The Holy Spirit is still promised. His mission is still before us. We got to have another apostle. Why do they need another apostle? Well, first of all, the scripture says so. We just saw that in Psalm 109, let another take his place. So Peter's interpreting the scriptures and saying, we need another. But also, these are all Jewish believers, right? There were 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus chose 12 apostles. And there had to be, for them to be the fulfilled sort of new Israel, there needed to be a continuity. Jesus chose 12. There are 12 tribes. We need 12. And so Peter, I believe, some people say that, Peter was wrong in going ahead and selecting a new apostle because the Spirit hadn't, the Spirit hadn't come and maybe they should have waited. Uh, I don't think so because what did they devote their time to? Worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. And then he opened the Bible and he interpreted that they need to take another one on before the Spirit came. So I think he was perfectly acceptable in doing so. And so they're like, hey, we need another apostle. We need one more for this office. And so... There are two qualifications that are listed here. They had to have been with Jesus since his baptism in the beginning, when, when John baptized him, uh, and then they had to be witnesses of the resurrection. So they had to have tracked for those whole three years, okay? I can't imagine there were a ton of people in that room who were from Galilee when Jesus started his ministry and were there with them. But we're, we're talking OGs here, right? The original ones who saw Jesus, be baptized, were with him the entire time, and then saw him resurrected. So they put forth these two candidates, Joseph with three names who we mentioned, and then Matt. And, uh, and one seems like an obvious choice, right? Because he has three names, and he's known as just, and he's great. So what, what do they do? They did hold a vote right then? We got two candidates. Who says Matt? And who says three names? No. What do they do? They pray. They pray, and they go, Lord, Tell us which one. And then they cast lots, which was essentially rolling dice. Okay? Had little stones with names or numbers on them. Shoot the dice, and they go, okay, here's our guy. Which leads some people to go, all right, is that an acceptable way of discerning God's will today? Right? You got two choices to make. You draw straws or you roll dice, and you go, okay, I guess this is what God's saying. I went on, you know, whatever dating website, and I got two candidates here, so which one should I pick? Let me roll the dice. Um, No, mainly because we have the Holy Spirit within us now. The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And in the Old Testament, there was a practice of casting lots. Um, Proverbs 16, in fact, says, the lot is cast into the lap, but the Lord determines its outcome. There are some things, and we'll see this a lot in the book of Acts, there are some things that are prescriptive that we ought to replicate. There are some things that are descriptive that happened then that we are not to replicate. It's my belief that now that we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, we don't need to cast lots anymore because his wisdom is far better than any roll of the dice. Amen? So they cast the lot, falls to Matthias, They select him, and the Bible says he was numbered with the 11. 
so he became an apostle. This is an office of apostle, okay? We don't have this office today because these were guys who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection who had been with Jesus the whole time. So when you're watching TV late at night and you see the apostle so-and-so with very tanned skin and very white teeth and usually frosted tips, he's not an apostle, okay? I don't care what he says he is. Charlatan maybe, apostle not. Um, there is a gifting, an apostolic gifting. You usually see church planters with this gifting because they go out, they're sent out, they start things, they multiply and they start movements and that kind of thing. But there is no office, authoritative office of apostle any longer. Okay. So here we go. Everything's set now. They got their 12. Everything's ready for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Everything's ready to launch the church out into the world. We're going to see this next week. When the Holy Spirit comes, this is so crazy. The church goes from 120 to like 3,000 in five minutes. It's insane. And, and I can't stress enough that like you and I are here in this room today because of God working through those 12. And most of them, like Matthias, we hear his name here. You never hear his name again in the rest of the scripture. Does that mean God didn't use him? No. It just means he played his part and he didn't have to be remembered for it. Most of the other apostles, like the rest of Acts is primarily Paul, right? Peter a little bit, Luke. You, you don't hear about a lot of these other apostles, but I'll tell you this. When they entered the gates of heaven, and by the way, uh, most all the apostles died as martyrs. When they entered those gates and saw Jesus face to face, they heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And that was enough, right? They didn't go, hey, am I going to be written down for this? Like, is all of antiquity going to remember my name? No, it doesn't matter because they, they hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's the same for us. Most of the work that God calls you to do for his glory, you're not going to be remembered for. But he knows. He knows. And when you stand before him, I think all of us want to hear, we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So we're here in this room because of those 12. And now we get, we get to partner together on mission. We get to come together for the sake of the gospel because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is King. And he came to live a perfect, sinless life that none of us could live. He died the death we all deserve for our sin, for our rebellion, for our guilt. And he took all of it upon himself and he absorbed all of the wrath of God against our sin in our place so that, and he died and he was buried and he rose again on the third day so that any of us who would surrender our lives to him who would trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation can be fully forgiven of our sin, welcomed into the family of God. And by the Spirit's power, we, we are moving out. The church continues to move and spread to the ends of the earth through us, through his people. It's incredible. And it's happening even through this little piddly 
church that God decided to plant in Nashville, North Carolina. I got another little video for you about what God is doing in the country of Tanzania. And I want you to listen up because it is incredible what God is up to there through some of the connections that he's allowed us to make. So uh, Ryan, if you got that video queued up, let's talk about Tanzania real quick. Then I'll come back up and close this. Hello, church. Missiote is a church planting church dedicated to maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond. In one way we've been doing that for the past four years is in supporting church planters in Tanzania. Over the next three minutes, I'll share as much of that story as I can to provide a glimpse of what God is doing there. On our first visit, the pastors there told us that one of their two biggest concerns was knowing how to plant churches in non-Christian areas. They're most burdened for the area of Masasi. It's about 200 kilometers west of Matwara, which takes about six hours by bus over entirely dirt roads. There are so few churches in this region that it is designated as an unreached people group by the International Mission Board. In 2018, Brian went back and taught a multi-day seminar in this church on church planning. In 2019, we helped Richard Oketch, who lives north in Dar es Salaam, come back and present two more seminars for people who could not attend the first one. One was in the spring, back in Matwara, and then the other one was in the fall, right in Masasi, where the need is greatest. Of those who attended these seminars, 10 have planted churches, 10 new churches, like this one, planted by Pastor John Impihuya. The churches range in size from about 10 to 30 people, and none support full-time pastors, making them a little bit like our community groups. Nearly every member is a new Christian. Their growth is not from people moving to a new church, but people moving to a new life. Finding places to meet is tough. Homes typically don't have room for many guests, so they often start under a tree. By the time the rainy season gets there, uh, they want a slightly more substantial structure, and they get progressively um, better as, as time goes on and they raise more money and the church grows. This church meets here uh, and they have been making bricks for a new building and now they're raising funds for mortar to finish construction of their new building. Another church uh, that meets in a larger village, a little more money, a little better bricks, uh, they share this facility with a, a church body that's from a more rural area nearby and in thanks for letting them use the building, they dug a new latrine for the church. The members are also growing a crop of beans to sell, which they hope will uh, produce enough money to buy some solar panels on the, for the roof uh, to put lights inside the church. The growth of the church in this region is just getting started, but it is building momentum. In March of 2021, just last month, we provided support for a second seminar in Masasi attended by 134 people. It was led entirely by three pastors from the area, including Pastor Sylvester, one of our best friends in Matwara. The first church Pastor Sylvester planted is now the host to the Compassion Center we support in Majengo. And he recently planted a second church in an even more rural area. He understands church planning. His son Lamech is our primary contact in Matwara and has been leading the coordination of these seminars and regularly visiting the church plants to encourage, disciple, and share knowledge. Please join with us in praying for the spread of the gospel in these unreached villages, that God will be preparing hearts to receive new life and will strengthen these small congregations of courageous new believers. If you'd like to know more about our efforts, to be on the distribution list for email updates, or to get more involved, just email me, missions at mdcashville.org. Thank you all. Pretty cool, huh? 
give the Lord a hand for what he's doing. I mean, that's, that is the book of Acts coming to life in front of us, right? It's incredible. Uh, and, and listen, those guys who are planting those churches are not seminary trained. Like they own a Bible and they love Jesus. They're just everyday people who are worshiping Jesus as a family on mission and God is blessing it. Now we want to bring training to them and help them grow in their understanding of the scriptures, but uh, it's incredible. So listen, here's, here's how I want to wrap up. And I know I've gone a little long because we had these videos and such. Um, I want to invite you to respond in whatever way the Lord's calling you to do so. If you've got a smartphone, you can take, out, uh, take it out if you want to and, and go to info.mdcashville.org. That's our info hub. And there's several places uh, that you could respond to. Uh, some of you need to come to Jesus, need to trust in him, repent of your sin, and, and turn to him. And I want to invite you to do that. Um, we have a baptism coming up next Sunday. And so uh, some of you have never been baptized. You're new to the faith, or maybe you'll come into the kingdom today, and, and you can sign up for baptism uh, there at the Info Hub. Some of you might want to join the mission team uh, and explore what God's doing there, or, or partner with us on mission as members of the church. We have a membership class coming up uh, May 16th and 23rd. I'll, I'll mention that again. What God is doing here is only possible as we partner together, as we give our time and our energies and our resources financially to help fund what God is up to through us. And so uh, I don't have questions. I want to pray for us, but I just want to invite you to be still for a moment and ask the Lord how he would have you respond, whether it's to come into faith, be baptized, become a member of the church, jump onto a serve team. Uh, maybe it means, you know, uh, joining the mission team or whatever, uh, but I want to give you a little bit of space to do that. So the band can uh, make your way back up and I'll pray for us. Father, I thank you so much uh, for what you are doing. You the power of your spirit, your word is moving both in Western North Carolina and in Tanzania and I'm sure a lot of other places in between. And we give you great thanks and praise for that. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to uh, study the book of Acts together as a congregation and I pray that it bears much fruit for us as we see what happens when you unleash the power of your spirit through your people. And uh, Lord, we just pray for more of it, for more disciples made, more churches planted uh, and your kingdom uh, coming more and more and more on the earth. So uh, help us to discern what part you would have us to play in that, uh, whether it's uh, trusting in you for the first time, coming to profession publicly in baptism, joining the church as a member, joining a team, whatever part you would have us play. Maybe, Lord, there's even church planters who are uh, in the room and don't know it yet that you would call up uh, over time uh, to, to launch new works, new churches in our region um, we ask for what you, only you can do. And we ask it in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.